I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. How are you, Megan? Hey, Tyler. Doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be back on the podcast after uh, the holidays. Yes. Are I was. You... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Where Where are you at? Have you been having any any office thoughts, any office business that you have to have to cover before we get into our episode for the day? Well, I was, uh, I think I was on social media around, you know, Christmas and stuff like that. And I think I saw, or maybe it was, um, yeah, Instagram, maybe I think I saw Mindy Kaling uh, post something about like all of the office Christmas episodes. And I was like, Ooh, maybe we should do like a holiday special at some point, you know, or like, cause it'll be fun to like, like think about these various um, episodes in relationship to one another, not just within the larger arc of, because I love a holiday episode of like a sitcom. Like I love a Halloween episode and a Christmas episode and maybe that's it, maybe just those two. But uh, anyway, that's that's the most office news I can think of. Huh. What about I'm you? I think about in general, if I like holiday episodes or not. But that's a really good idea. I like the like putting them together and seeing, yeah, what do we see when we have the holiday ones side by side? If my memory is serving correctly, don't you hate the holidays? Isn't that- <laughs> no, I Didn't don't. Did you ban like ban you know Christmas music or something in our apartment? I can't. I can't you remember. Notoriously, think of me as kind of a Scrooge. I think I wouldn't go so far as to say I fully banned it. It's just that. I do think there are limits. I mean, I, I don't think the Christmas music should start until after Thanksgiving. I think you should be able to fully enjoy the fall season. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can only I can only take so much, but I'm not anti-holiday. <laughs> I mean, I have a very vivid, I mean, I used to be, because I've been thinking about this lately, like I don't, I'm, like I haven't been sending out Christmas cards in the last couple of years. And like, I haven't been doing, um, I don't know, like I didn't even really want to decorate that much. And I'm like, well, maybe it's like a global pandemic or maybe it's just like you get older and it's a, and it just feels like work or something like that. But when we were in grad school, I was still in the full swing of like, I'm going to send everybody a Christmas card or a holiday card or whatever. I would get like all these different ones and I'd write, you know, messages or whatever. But I have this memory of um, I don't know if you were in the apartment at the time, but I was like writing Christmas cards and like wrapping presents. And I put on the Charlie Brown, um, like Christmas special jazz soundtrack. Yes. And I played it on repeat, like at least five times. And people on the podcast don't know our, our old roommate, Josh, but Josh is like, you know, Midwestern, sweet as can be. And would never, ever tell you, you know, like he, he would just never say like, oh, you know, uh, you're annoying me or don't do that or something like, you know what I mean? He's just so um, sweet and chill. And and yet, like, I can just remember him coming out of his room and being like, um, do you think that maybe we could put on something else for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But I was like, no, you listen only to this now. <laughs> like, no. You drove Josh to the point where he had to intervene. Although I got to say, that is some great Christmas music. Come on, it's so the good. That's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. 
Wait, so you don't know how you feel about a holiday special? Like, uh, yeah, like, I don't know, do the Christmas episodes of The Office stand out in your mind? Do you, are there, do they have Halloween episodes? They do, oh, yes. And them. you know what I will say? I think that in general, I don't love holiday episodes, but in The Office, I do. In The Office, they're good. Why don't you love them in general? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to really have to give this some more thought. At least for me, there's something nostalgic about, like, I remember being a kid and being like, oh my God, the Garfield Halloween special. <laughs> the, you know, the, uh, the the Peanuts, you know, whatever, Christmas special. Like, it was like... Oh, a, yes. I, so that's a different category. There is I something more yeah. of like, I don't know, kind of sitcoms that have the holiday special and it just feels kind of forced and kind of lame where it feels like charlie brown and peanuts like that's living its best life at the holidays i think yeah in some ways i don't really want to see them outside of a holiday context (laughs) i have no interest in their everyday pursuits Uh, (laughs) the everyday pursuits of charlie brown and friends i don't know but maybe that's what like a holiday episode brings me back to that kind of like tv I don't know, like something ritualistic about like, oh, we're, you know, getting to see something special at the holidays. Like, like I didn't, I don't think I had like the Grinch on VHS or whatever. So whenever that came around, it was like, oh shit, <laughs> the Grinch, you know? But at the same time, um, yeah, I don't know. Are there like any great episodes of television that are a holiday episode? Like, I don't know that they transcend anything right um i think that's the thing i think i would say no i think they sometimes sacrifice their greatness for the theme but hmm. i don't think that i don't think that that's the case with the office i'm gonna have to wait until we get back to those and then i want you to remind me of this holiday special question so when we get to christmas and we get to halloween and i can't remember if they come up in this season or when the first one of those is but we will have them Okay. Yeah. All right. I do think um, there is something strange to me about like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. As a child, I think I remember having a really complicated relationship to reality. And uh, um, as an example, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I, I like firmly thought for a really long time, like too long, that when people die, like in a movie, that they actually die in real life. And I used to think that like actors chose carefully like which performance would be their last and that it was like some sort of suicide like I don't know where yeah yeah I was a stupid child but I think that I remember feeling too where it's like oh like the Simpsons celebrate Christmas like are they in the world of the Simpsons Christmas Uh exists like so the idea that we share the same world as these fictional (laughs) beings was like very strange and magical to me and and I still feel that I have a bit of that like community will do a Halloween episode or whatever I'm like Halloween exists in this world too like so we share which is a really bizarre uh this is stupid it makes you you feel a sense of stability then when they share Uh oh let's let's move away from that (laughs) also dramatic instability when you think that they are actually dying I mean the stakes get very very high (laughs) 
Could you imagine if that was true though? And it was like, oh, like you get to die in like, I don't know, you know, the like fourth sequel to a horror movie that nobody's ever gonna watch. Like, yeah, anyway. Ooh, yeah. I'm gonna start thinking about that when I watch things that involve death. Do you have but, any uh, office uh, news or dreams or, or things, uh, corrections, omissions from our previous? I was about to say, I was like, I'm gonna take a, take a hard turn and topic here. And I wanna circle back to a question that you raised last time. Uh -huh. that, <laughs> that was when you asked, is Steve Carell, and I quote, a grizzled daddy? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at that point, I disputed the grizzled part. I think we both agreed that that wasn't really what we think of as grizzled. Mm -hmm. But today I wanna to emphasize the dad part. I wanna go back to the dad part because I've been thinking about that question of the Steve Carell charm. Mm. And partly what got me thinking about it is the fact that, did you know Carol? Okay, so today we're doing season two, episode three, Office Olympics. And did you know that Carol, the real estate agent is Steve Carell's actual wife? What? Yes. Like, I did not know. I thought she looked familiar, though, but I didn't know from where. She is, yeah, so she's his uh, real-life wife, and so for some reason that got me thinking about, like, Michael Scott, but also Steve Carell, and we've talked about this, like, separation of the kind of general vibe of Steve Carell, the actor, and Michael Scott, and I was thinking then back to... Um, our discussion, was this last time too, about moms? Oh yeah, and all the comments about moms, the idea of hot moms, the allure of the mom. That was the one where Todd Packer does the, you know, what's got two thumbs and likes to bone your mom joke and Kevin right. calls Pam's mom a milf. And so I was thinking about that idea of the allure of the mom. And I feel like the thing Steve Carell has though is the allure of the dad. Mm. And I think it's not in the way, <laughs> not in the grizzled daddy sense. I feel like that way of using daddy is kind of different. They're <laughs> like just a dad, like just attractive dad vibe. Mm -hmm. I think that is the charm of Steve Carell. And the reason I was thinking about it with um, the fact that he is married to Carol um, it's just, it's so fun to watch, I feel like, and think about that. And the I think that he's one of those guys who has the vibe, like, I love my wife and I love my kids. Uh, I think it's, I think it's dad vibes that is the hotness and allure of Steve Carell. But you mean external to the office, right? Like you don't get these- 100%. Okay, okay. 100%. So I think, yeah, I think that the kind of hot Steve Carell thing, yeah, is very separate from Michael Scott and is about, I think it's the dad vibe. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting to me because he does seem like a quote unquote nice guy. Yes. Um, so that's part of it. Um, but this idea that the dad or the attractive, alluring dad is defined by like kind of like, he loves his kids. He loves his wife. Like he kind of does, he embraces yes. joyfully his role as dad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. 
trying to think who else does that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm. Yeah. I'm persuaded. He I may not be grizzled. Not um, grizzled. No. No. Not daddy in the daddy sense, but dad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have but, to unpack that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that that's something we can continue to theorize. <laughs> I'm here for that. I'm here for that. <laughs> now that I also knowing that your mother listens to the podcast, though, is really uh, really making me suddenly <laughs> rethink all of my commentary on these things. So oh, I'm like, David. <laughs> We gave it the explicit designation, so people that's are true. Get, but no, really, <laughs> <laughs> and she supports us, you know. So she's a big, a big supporter of the podcast. Yeah, so. her love is not conditional. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so bring it all. Bring it okay. All. all right. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to quickly remind everybody to follow us on social media. We now have three Twitter followers, and our Whoa. last Twitter post was in August. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, so honestly, that's our bad, you know, really that's on us, uh, that we have not tweeted. Um, on the other hand, you know, I mean, nobody's tweeted at us, any questions or responses. It's on them. So, um, but just a quick reminder, our Twitter is office underscore HRS underscore pod. If you'd like to follow us and tweet at us, um, on Twitter. (laughs) Oh, and our Instagram is office underscore hours underscore podcast. Uh, and Megan, I feel like you've been doing a better job at updating Instagram, <laughs> whereas I have done nothing on Twitter and uh, feel shame about that. It's been August, so yeah. <laughs> Should we get into it? Let's do it, yeah. All right, so here's our summary. Um, this is season two, episode three, Office Olympics, and our summary from NBC. Dwight tries to help Michael close the deal on a condo. Jim and Pam organize an Olympic-themed office competition. Okay. Initial impressions of this episode. I, I, because I, I was saying to you, like, right before we started, I was like, I don't know if I have a lot to say about this one, mm-hmm. but I don't know why, because I really enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was very funny and had lots of, you know, cute little moments or whatever. Um, and yet, Eh, like I don't know it felt in some ways like a almost um I don't know like not a lot actually happens here mm-hmm. uh so I don't know those that's just kind of my initial feelings about it although I did I have questions for you about whether we learned major things in this episode that we didn't know before um but what was yeah. your reaction to it and and is this a memorable one for you I think I have a similar a similar feeling to you. I feel like this one is not my favorite. I think I've, I think like all the previous ones have sort of been in competition yeah. for being a favorite. Um, but I do think your question about like, yeah, what do we, what do we learn and kind of what new things do we get from this? I feel like particularly Dwight might be yeah really emerging in this episode I think we get um a lot more a lot more dimensions of of Dwight so he's somebody I think we can really get into yeah did we know about the beet farm or Moe's before this no I don't think so and this is one of those memory problems that I feel like we always run into (laughs) where I'm like did like why do I know this? Do I know this information about Dwight from the future or 
from the past, but I think this is the first because, um, so they go, this is, this one's a little bit interesting in format too. So this is also, I think a new thing. So there's the one where they go yeah. to thinking about like when they remove themselves from the main space of the office, we had the one where they go to yes. Chile. It's, but this I think is the first time where there's really this split thing and there's kind of one plot that's happening in the office and then one that's happening outside. Yeah. And so as part of that, Michael and Dwight are going to close on um, Michael's condo and they're talking about, you know, property ownership. And so then in those little side interviews is when Dwight really kind of fills us in on this beet farm that he inherited from his grandpa, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, that that he works and lives on with his lovely cousin Mose. It has nine bedrooms and one bathroom that's under the porch. It has a crossbow range. Uh, He supplies beets to local restaurants and I think grocery stores or something. And teenagers have sex there sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Which made me think like, I would love to see the a story from the teenagers experience because I could imagine Dwight like appearing out of the darkness or Dwight and Moe's and it being like a complete horror movie from their perspective <laughs> like they've been you know ambushed on this what they thought to be an abandoned beet farm or something <laughs> why is it so funny that it's beets uh I just can't wrap my head around that but there's something especially funny about beet farming as opposed to yeah uh, you're right like growing corn or like some more standard crop. Yeah. <laughs> Never hear of beet farms. Like, have you ever heard of anyone farming beets other than Dwight? No, honestly, I haven't. And frankly, I don't know if it's like, it's always a weird thing, right? Like, is this a new thing in the culture or am I just in my thirties now? Like, that's a, that's a question I'm asking myself a lot these days, you know? And, uh, but like, I feel as if Brussels, sprout, Brussels sprouts and beets were not as like popular until more recently, like in kind of like going to a restaurant and getting like a beet salad or You are whatever. exactly right. But I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what it was like in the 80s. I was a child and I was ordering, you know, chicken nuggets. Yeah. So maybe beets were big. But No, uh, I, I think you're right, though. I think that there has been a revolution in those foods and there's something like their reputation somehow this seems like an interesting thing i feel like the reputation of products you know like of made products that are clearly branded and marketed is sort of one thing but Mm -hmm. then it's kind of interesting how do you market and brand a crop yeah it's completely different because i think brussels sprouts had the reputation of sort of being trash like it's just right like kind of having a bad smell and bad flavor and being something that no one kind of liked I feel like beets sort of similarly um but you're right I Brussels sprouts have totally turned around and you're right I feel like you hear about kind of fancy beet salads and actually I tried one recently thinking I have this bad feeling about beets I don't think they're good but I have to you know be an adult and not just order chicken crispers and open myself up to new culinary experiences. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I did not like the beets. I don't, I'm not a huge beet fan, but yeah. Jen likes beets a lot. And, uh, you know, that's cool. But 
I like Brussels sprouts. That's really grown on me. I feel like, but I was surprised like the first time I tried them, which was maybe, I don't know, seven years ago or, you know, something like that. Like <laughs> it's been, but it's definitely a development, you know, in my adulthood. And, um, and I was like, oh, these are good. But I definitely felt like, yeah, they had the, like in my head, they were like lima beans or something like a, a kind yeah. of vegetable or whatever that you wouldn't want. Um, so maybe that's part of it is that it's both that Dwight has to farm something that is a controversial and generally disliked vegetable. <laughs> and we also get his, his, you know, so the opening bit when he and he's trying to like, cajole Michael into bringing him along mm -hmm. and they're talking in the beginning about putting people in the stocks and bringing <laughs> that back um and uh I definitely feel like Dwight's kind of like I don't know authoritarian plus mm -hmm. meets libertarian mm -hmm. vibes or I just feel like he's becoming the character that he will become in these little yeah. glimpses and I'm here yeah. for that um yeah and his like whole there's something would check listening to the walls and being kind of a doomsayer like it's interesting to see how he undermines um michael's confidence in the sale yeah. um yeah yeah, yeah he goes in he really takes that kind of inspector role at the house and i was thinking about the way i don't know i want to know what you think about the relationship between Dwight and Michael and also how it sort of changes some when they leave the office partly because yeah Michael starts off with this big thing about yeah how important how important property ownership is and how in olden see olden days or olden times whatever he says they didn't even let you vote if you didn't own property right and he's getting this place but then it turns out that Dwight is the one who owns and has mm. already paid off this big farm so he yeah, like he's the one who already has land. And That's when right. Michael when Michael realizes that this condo is going to cost him more than he wants it to for longer than he expected it to, mm -hmm. you know, he invites Dwight to come and rent. He says that he's rewarding Dwight by allowing <laughs> him to rent their bedroom. Right. And Dwight to kind of to to decline while also sort of protecting Michael's feelings. That's the whole thing. We'll see if we'll see if we get if we end up getting into that. But um he has to sort of find a way to decline that. And it was just interesting because you know, Michael's kind of assuming that Dwight will be honored to take yes. this extra bedroom in my condo. And Dwight has plenty of land and more bedrooms than he can use maybe not enough bathrooms but he's like he's really in a good position yeah i like this movement away like i feel like in the first season dwight was positioned as if as if he thought michael was cool and mm -hmm. somebody to like look up to <clears throat> and earn his approval but not in a serious way like kind of in a high school bully kind of way or something or whatever you know like it felt very high school to me where it's like he's the cool guy even though we know he's not the audience um but Dwight is unaware of that or whatever and I yeah. think that it's it's just a slight shift to say 
Michael thinks that he is the cool guy and he's the center of the story and that he's like, you know, filled with experience and whatever. Yeah. But that Dwight doesn't, Dwight doesn't see it that way. Like, and, and wouldn't, right? Like once you get, you're out of those kinds of high school dynamics, you know, I don't know. I just felt like there's something, there's something to me more interesting about what you're describing where it's like, Dwight actually does have all of the things that Michael is talking about, but Michael yeah. doesn't see it. Uh-huh. And, and then Dwight, instead of yearning to be like Michael is just weirder, like for <laughs> it. I don't know. I don't feel like I'm adding a lot because what you said, I think is so smart. I hadn't even realized until you said it that, um, that yeah, like Michael's mansplaining property ownership to a guy who owns a fucking beet farm. <laughs> But I really, I really like the way that you're putting it, yeah, in relationship to Dwight in the mode, yeah, and like from last season where he's always kind of um, sucking up and what's the word? I guess like sort, sort of fawning over Michael. Yeah. And I think, yeah, here we do see it get a little bit more complicated and maybe Dwight being a little bit more knowing in some ways although at the same time he still he still wants he you know he kind of talks in the beginning about (laughs) Michael being I, I really should have written this down because now I'm forgetting uh the words that he used but it's about him and Michael being like to like this really special pair um like the doesn't he start it's like the lone ranger and tonto or but it ends up being mozart and i really shouldn't venture into things that i remember with so little detail are you finding it yeah i was trying to pull up the script really quick uh it's like my he is mozart um, and i am whoever it is that he says he is but basically like he is michael's Oh, okay. Kind of- I've been Michael's number two guy for about five years and we make a great team. We're like one of those <laughs> classic famous teams. Yes. He's like Mozart and I'm like Mozart's friend. No, I'm like Butch Cassidy and Michael is like Mozart. Mozart. Um, <laughs> oh, hold on. The, the ad blocker just came up. Hold on. Oh man. Hold on. Oh, uh, Michael's like, I'm like Butch Cassidy and Michael's like Mozart. You try and hurt Mozart, you're going to get a bullet in your head courtesy of Butch Cassidy. (laughs) You know what? I think the Lone Ranger thing actually comes up maybe in the next episode, but in another way of Dwight trying to like explain this relationship. So that's interesting there because then Dwight is... um, both his number two, but also the one who is going to defend him to the death. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, he asks at the, so before they're, um, when Dwight is asking if he can come along to this closing, he asks, um, Michael, can I come as your representative? And Michael tells him as my associate. And then Dwight says, same thing. So sort of like his assistant regional manager, assistant to the regional manager, they're like a little back and forth about the language of what he is, but yeah, he ends up going as Michael's associate. Well, so that was something interesting to me, by the way, as I'm looking quickly, looking at this script, there are 15 deleted scenes to this episode. And I'm like, 
we really? really need to we need to like dig into the deleted scene portions at some point because yeah. yeah I don't know if they're available on Peacock or I should I think they are I don't know if they have it actually for this season um but, but there's they, a part of me that's like ob- objects to including them in our analysis because it's like no this was the show that they yes. aired yeah on the other hand like there's plot being cut out of this stuff anyway there right. is I think here what we're really doing is analyzing the ultimate, like the product that they You're made, right. the work of art as it is. But I think as a separate thing, and as maybe follow-up, we do more archival research, if you will, and go go get those deleted scenes and, and see what we make of them. But I never thought we'd make it to season two, episode three. So now I have faith that we will one day make it to the deleted scenes. But okay, yeah. so I was going to say the episode opens with um, a very subtle, uh, I feel like kind of queer nod. And you've hinted at this with Michael Scott sort of like having, um, he fetishizes or objectifies, or one could say sexually harasses the him. Um, <laughs> whose name is Ryan? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Ryan shows up and he gives him the uh, uh, sausage, egg, and cheese on a biscuit. And <laughs> he's like, oh, okay, like, well, you can do whatever you want. Like, take your pants off, do risky business, you know, <laughs> home alone or whatever, you know. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to go sleep in my car or whatever. But there is, like, I did feel like, okay, you know, I, maybe it was in my head because we, you had mentioned it. And also on the Dundies episode, he like, doesn't he give Ryan the like hottest sexiest person, hottest in the office. Yeah. So then, all right. So to open the episode that way, and then to have the major kind of gay joke of the realtor and the um, like homeowners association think that yes. Dwight and Michael are a couple and they're trying to like sell them on the place as gay friendly yeah <laughs> it was very interesting to me and like michael's yeah i don't know i i i don't know like i, I as a joke i was kind of curious what you thought about it but i was at least impressed that none of it felt like gay panic jokes like it didn't feel yeah. like um i mean i suppose michael is kind of taken aback but but his reaction is not toxic he's kind of like yes it's good to have a place that's <laughs> accepting <laughs> okay so let's talk about both of those things. Let's talk about that opening scene with Ryan and then let's get into the interaction with um, Carol, our real estate agent and Bill, the um, head of the condo association. So first of all, Ryan, I did not think about that point about why don't you take your pants off <laughs> and around, but such a good point. Like, I mean... of all, like the movie things that he decides to reference, it's the yeah. one where you're taking your pants off. Yeah, and you're right that with the context that he has given Ryan the hottest in the office award, and you think that um, the way that this would sort of read if you asked, like if he had asked a young woman to come into the office who he had also awarded hottest in the office way before anyone else is going to arrive in the kind of dark hours of the morning. Yes. It would be off. Like it would be an issue and we would- Predatory. (laughs) Yeah. It would be predatory. But in that, like, you're right. We've got this dynamic where it's like easier to overlook or miss it. But when it's Ryan, (laughs) yeah. Hmm. 
Okay, so I think you're totally right. I think that there is something, there's just a, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just a hint of something. Yeah, and I'm not saying, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, you could do like some sort of queer reading or whatever if you wanted of Michael Scott. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. At the same time, I'm not, you know, foreclosing it either. But it's just interesting that they put that together with, the plot later and and then yeah. that plot doesn't I mean it's not like that goes anywhere it's not it's you know you can imagine a more traditional sitcom you know making the whole thing about either they're going to pretend to be a gay couple to you know I don't know get some yeah. get into the competitive ha- housing association or something or vice versa he's now gonna like butch it up to like dispel any, you know, taint Mm -hmm. of the gay (laughs) that is now, you know, projected onto him. It's kind of just a one moment. um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really have a point other than to say it impressed me that it didn't feel that homophobic. (laughs) And then on the other hand, I was like, you know, okay, I'm not to jump to the final thing, but I, part of the reason this episode is irritating or not irritating, maybe disappointing or just weird to me is I'm like, what is the relationship between the Olympics and the condo? Like the plots don't feel that related to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand precisely why Michael is crying at the end, other than to think um, the best that I could come up with, not to jump to the end though, was to be like, okay, when you buy a house, that's a big thing. And there's no one to celebrate it with him. Like he's, he doesn't call anybody. There's no, I I don't know, you know, he's not sharing the experience with anyone other than Dwight. And even that sharing is so um, fraught. So it almost felt like he's crying at the idea that, you know, the office is recognizing him as having done this momentous, if normative thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that did make me wonder kind of like, yeah, like, he doesn't have a family. He doesn't have any relationships. He he is purely just the office. Like that is his, I don't know. And there is something kind of queer-ish in the broadest yeah. sense about that as kind of like he's outside of the hetero um, family, even though he, at the same time, he's saying where, like, he's like, where are all the hot people? I was promised there'd be hot people. <laughs> And his fantasies about the house are like, oh, I'm going to have a swing here and I'm going to push somebody in it. But then it turns out that's the wrong house because they're all so cookie cutter. And then when he realizes it's a 30 year mortgage, my favorite joke is when Dwight is like, oh, you could use the other room for the nurse. (laughs) And I was and it's like, oh, you just bought yourself a coffin. And I was like, oh, man, like so. There is this way like in which he's he's fantasizing it as this achievement of heteronormativity or on the path towards it. And then yeah. somehow that's ruined. Uh-huh. But I wasn't quite sure why it was ruined. But anyway, I'm now I'm just blathering. But it there's, oh. there's something in this episode, but I don't maybe it didn't quite come together for me. I don't know. There is something in this episode. And I like the lines you used. I think you said it's sort of there's something sort of queerish in the broadest sense. And I think that helps me capture the thing I'm like trying to figure out or put words to, but can't quite. Cause it's like, we're not, we're not like reading Michael as secretly gay or something. Right. Like that. Right. But within this, like 
very heteronormative workplace. And like you said, the goals of getting the condor that ultimately he'll see his, he'll push his grandchild in a swing. So right. in between that too, there will be the wife and there will be the children and he'll sort of fulfill that um, goal of the kind of ideal of the heterosexual life, but that it's like within that context, there are still these more queer dynamics that are part of it, even in a place that seems like it, <laughs> and especially following uh, Todd Packer last time, seems like it right. wants so badly to be free of that in some ways. Yeah. Um, but that isn't. And the I really, really like the scene a lot that you mentioned when he is meeting. So he and Dwight, they go, they're meeting with um, the head of the condo association, Bill, who just <laughs> is a very sweet man. <laughs> I think he just seems very kind of quiet and sort of awkward and he has his cell phone attached to his belt um but he says let's see so first of all michael tells him oh he doesn't know anything about property ownership kind of an idiot and so michael's like kind of talking about dwight that way then it goes to dwight telling us informing us about the beet farm but dwight then says he has a couple of questions about the neighborhood. So do I really coming in here? Yeah, as he wants to be as Michael's representative and kind of advocate. Mm. And Bill says, it's very safe, very clean. It's also very accepting of all lifestyles. And so it's like, he's trying to sort of say this in a vague and general way, accepting of all lifestyles. Um, <laughs> and you can kind of see, I feel like Dwight and Michael, their faces are like, okay. And Carol stuffs in, it's a very gay friendly neighborhood. Right. <laughs> and then Michael, oh, good, good. It's it's good to be accommodating of that. <laughs> and then Dwight immediately jumps in and says, let's go check out the master bedroom. Right, right. <laughs> so they are, because it seems like the sort of options for a man in some ways are, for a middle-aged man like Michael, are either that you are married or that you're a Todd Packer, that you're like yes. a player, a kind of aggressively straight type of guy. And so I was just thinking about the way that the options and kind of how structured that idea of going into hmm. a major purchase, like buying a house has such a structure to it that you go there with your partner or you go there with a wife like it it's that kind of like life mate sort of person who's supposed to be there with you and michael then being a single man who's going there with a man is read as gay right yeah and as you're, you're i mean like it is part of the joke here is about their ignorance like he needs to have the realtor <laughs> spell out the joke yeah and then, and then dwight's role there is like he's still either he still doesn't get the joke but Michael does, or um, he gets it and he doesn't care, you know, um, not that not doesn't get the joke, but get, doesn't get what's being said. Um, yeah, like, right. And what it means about him, like how they're interpreting his and Michael's relationship. But I am wondering if this is partly why, like, we never get a great explanation for why Michael hates Toby. And one reason <laughs> is that he perceives Toby as an extension of corporate, even though he himself is corporate, which he realizes... <laughs> <laughs> briefly in the sexual harassment episode right or the uh -huh. um but 
But the other thing he's constantly pointing out about Toby is that he's divorced. And so like in terms of our models of heteronormativity, like you've got, yeah. like you said, Todd Packer is the player, the, the rake, the uh, misogynist who views women as conquests or whatever. Um, you've got Stanley who uh, is in a committed relationship, has a daughter, you know, whatever. And like, just wants to focus on work, get in, get out. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and we have Jim who is the, you know, young pining for love. He's the romantic. You've got Pam and Roy, like Roy is the bad version of Jim. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. he's, he can't, he can't commit. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and what is Toby's role in that economy? He, it's like to represent the failure, right. Of, huh. of um, the heteronuclear ideal, you know, even though like, many and most people one might say are divorced and and have you know and he has like a lovely daughter or whatever but Michael just like mocks him for that constantly but it's not like Michael's married or anything I don't know right yeah yeah he says you can stay here for four years or until I get a girlfriend and then you're <laughs> out you know so like at least on some level it's like conceivable to him that for the next four years he might be single Yes. <laughs> yeah, because he was saying go. What say? Go month by month after that, or yeah. something. <laughs> I was like, like five hundred dollars a month in utilities. Not so bad. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> looks like a nice neighborhood. I mean, they're all the same. But it is. did looks you like understand? I did not understand why he would lose seven thousand dollars if he walked away. Is that like a thing about buying houses? Like, if you get to the deal and you're like, never mind. There's some yeah you I like lose the closing costs or something like that or there's something what is earnest money that's something where you, like there's a certain amount you put down where you're kind of oh like, like there's some amount of money yeah. you commit where like once there's the contract you're not like you're kind of committed to that money i think it's something like that okay yeah yeah well, like, yeah, because I was like, wait, why is, what is the big deal of walking away? But also the fact that he didn't understand the 10 year fixed over 30. And then I also didn't understand the more they were talking about it. I was like, this shit is so confusing. And I enjoyed that. I was like, I love seeing somebody else just not get basic home economics or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I don't know. It feels also confusing to me, finances and whatever. And so I liked his, yeah. I like that. I agree. More, yeah, I think the mortgage stuff is super complicated. At the same time, for Michael, as a salesman, <laughs> something that, Good you know, point. should be better with finances, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't particularly seem that he is. On the note of finances and yes. spending money, and we could come back to the house, but I just want to point out one of my, <laughs> one thing I really enjoy is when um, they're in the car and Dwight and Michael, they're on their way to the condo and Dwight puts on these kind of ridiculous sunglasses and he says, check it out, Terminator. <laughs> and he says... <laughs> Michael, these these are ridiculous looking sunglasses. And Michael says, I do not understand what you spend your money on. And for some reason, I just love that line 
putting it to Dwight that I do not understand what you spend your money on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy their time together. Like the them in the car and Dwight trying to like put the top down and he's like, well, yeah. then people won't, people won't see us or whatever if we leave it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I just found that charming um in some ways and they're and the acting is really great but we haven't talked at all about the other plot which and maybe oh, this yeah. is like partly what's strange to me about this episode like is it's called like office olympics right mm-hmm. um and yet the office olympics plot is is kind of so minor and almost i mean it's charming it's you know it's one of these kind of like you know, maybe what annoys me about it is like, I think it's first, I hadn't thought of this until you said it, but like maybe the show is funnier to me when it's contained in the office. Like I will have to see like when they leave, but, um, and yet the stuff here in the office is like not as funny to me, but then that's the other thing. It feels, it felt a little bit more like other shows where there's a kind of fantasy dimension where it's like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, x if school or work or the bar or whatever you know was this kind of fun place where people made friends or whatever which is what a lot of sitcoms are right it's like oh you're watching and you can imagine your but this show and i can't believe i'm arguing for the cringe now but like the existential (laughs) ennui you know the dread and and suffering of just the boredom of this job is what's funny about the show and so seeing them all kind of rally together to have fun I don't know, it just didn't like feel right to me or it felt kind of like that's not what makes this show funny. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. It's not as satisfying to see them really having a good time. (laughs) And I guess it's, it's kind of like Michael, this this is in some ways Michael's dream scenario. Like they're interacting right in this fun family-like way and it is while he is out of the office that that becomes possible and that that Mm. happens but I think you're right it's uh less cringe also less satisfying you did yeah say more about the games the games which is your favorite game and Mm. which where do you think you would really shine at the office? <laughs> I can tell you right now, I would be a huge loser in the coffee race. Uh, <laughs> the coffee I, is stressful. Yeah, I spill my coffee just in a normal, slow pace, you know? Uh, so I feel like I would really not do well at that. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Okay, hold on. They play, we get um, Flonkerton. Uh-huh. We get... The coffee racing, there's the guessing of who's coming out of the elevator. Yes. I liked that one a lot, actually. Yes. Because yes. it was, I think Ryan predicted it would be someone from um, Vance Refrigeration. And so he gets it. Oh, I know what I would do. I think I would put in a strong showing in the M&M. How many M&Ms could you fit in your mouth? And I yeah. felt, I, I really felt like I could challenge um, what Kevin on that one. Yeah. What yeah. about you? What would be, where would you shine? I felt like um, I feel like the M and M's would be a good one too. I think I would definitely enjoy that. <laughs> I like the coffee one. I don't know that I would be great at it, but I would really like to try. Although 
uh, it's a carpeted office. And so I'm also kind of stressed out about it going out on the carpet. And I think that the elevator, the predict who's going to come out of the elevator was just sort of surprising and delightful. So I liked that one. Um, what were they? What, what were you two? I was going to say, like, compared to the day when they play basketball, all this stuff for me, I feel like I'm much more comfortable yes. with all of these physical feats. This was also much like funnier to watch or, you know, more. Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just a little zippier to cut from this one, to this one to this one and kind of see what they came up with as uh-huh. opposed to, I remember when we watched that basketball episode, like there were lots of really funny moments, but you know, ultimately it was like, yeah, we're really just watching them play basketball here. And that's, cool. <laughs> um, but hold on, wait, uh, what are they playing when Phyllis, um, is like, Oh, did you just call me a hoe? What was, were they playing yeah. basketball or something or playing horse like some kind of horse basketball you know you okay. got the h-o-r I, I can't i can't remember what they're like what they're throwing but it's like they're basically playing horse then there was hate ball because uh, <laughs> angela hates it so much and then awesome. they play toby has dunder ball yes um, they throw it trying to remember if there were any and other there was angela's game pam pong where pam she pong. yeah what did you think of angela in this episode end of pam pong angela's cold bitchiness i feel like really comes out comes out strong here um phyllis comes comes out in like an exciting wonderful way i feel like i love her stepping up to compete in flockerton and winning when she jumps in and says to Jim, you calling me a hoe? Mm-hmm. Uh, when he gives her the HO. And um, Angela, wow. I'm thinking particularly of the place when Jim is kind of doing the opening ceremonies and lighting the candle. And Angela walks in. They're in the kitchen. Angela walks in to get her lunch out of the um, refrigerator. And she is just so cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, yeah, she's just, she's hostile and she is mean. I felt like the way that she does, th- that she talks about Pam and then, you know, like checks it off for Pam. Did not care for Angela here. I did wonder if this was the first, I would, you know, again, our memory is bad, but it felt like the first time we were really hearing about her cats at home. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh-huh. It made me wonder about where the, stereotype of the cat lady first gets going like mm-hmm. and whether I'm like is that a particularly like American stereotype for like oh, you know um a certain kind of woman or is it yeah I don't know we'll have to like yeah. google this or whatever. I was kind of curious about that like oh yeah. where, did, where did this come from but um yeah she's like I like playing games you know with my cats um but <laughs> at work um yeah, I, at the same time, I feel like we also haven't really figured out Angela as a character because it's like, is she a hard worker? Like, is she similar to Stanley? Yeah. Stanley's like, I just want to do my work. Leave me alone. So he doesn't want to play. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, so she does she care about the work? You know, I don't know. I kind of oh, like that's her. Very interesting, interesting comparison. Yeah, I feel like she, I feel like she has a very strong sense that we see already, I think, of like of right and wrong 
And I think to her, it's like, yeah, she's there, like the job. So where Stanley, it's more, seems more um, pragmatic. Like, I'm just, you know, like I'm here, I gotta, I gotta make my money. I gotta do my job and I go. And for Angela, it feels like it's just, uh, I don't know. What is it? But like their thing really, you are here to work. And so we all should really be focused and working. I feel like Stanley cares less about what other people do. And he's kind of like, let me just do my thing. If I don't remember if this ever happens in the future episodes, but Angela as the boss would be fascinating, I think. (laughs) It does feel like what she likes is judgment and power and criticism. And uh, so it would just be interesting to see that management style manifest um, because it's so different from Michael's desire to be liked, which she doesn't talk about at all. Yeah, you're right. And I think she doesn't respect or really like sympathize with the desire to be liked. I think she's more of, you know, leading with a firm hand and she is the head of the party planning committee and it's making it's reminding me of when she says to phyllis when they're talking at that um party their party planning session we talked about a few episodes ago and phyllis proposes green streamers and angela tells her that i think green is kind of whorish yes (laughs) (laughs) so that like her clear sense of right and wrong can be um you know quite arbitrary but is is strong is certainly yeah. Certainly forceful. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, it would be, I've been trying to think a lot lately about like, what are characters? Like what makes characters into whatever is distinctive about them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, something that's been interesting about this show is like, it feels as if they know, well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it feels as if they're figuring out who the characters are. But I've been yeah. thinking about that a lot. It's like often the early seasons of a show are a little um, wonky because it feels mm-hmm. like in, like that they haven't figured out the characters. But I'm not sure what exactly that means. Like, what mm-hmm. does it mean to figure them out? Is it only retrospectively yeah. from what they become? But then the other problem is as the show goes on for too long, the characters get stuck. Like you can't, you can only have them do so many things without becoming some other character. And then people will complain and say, oh, it's like a complete 180 from what it was. And um, I don't have a point here other than I'm just kind of interested in watching this unfold. And and I wonder how much of it is conscious and how much of it is like accidental, like, oh, the cat thing was mentioned. So let's pull on that thread later. That'll be funny. Or or whether it's like more, we're going to pepper in these things and expand yeah I don't know I, I wonder how much of it is contingent or yeah. you know. I like that your question about yeah what makes kind of what makes a character and it's making me think about the ways that um for both Dwight and Angela I feel like the, we get some filling in of their characters that comes from learning stuff about them that's outside of the office so like learning about Angela playing games with her cats and learning about Dwight's farm and like to what to what extent to fill in the characters do we need to know their outside life right to what extent is their office self enough like does enough kind of come just directly into the space of the office that mm. you know they can really establish them without it 
Oh, that's interesting. It's almost as if setting in some ways like dictates or, you know, gives a, like a necessary boundary for characters to be yeah. consistent, but that consistency means like uh, narrowing. Like you have to, like you can't, we can't go and watch, like we never see any of these people at home. Like, and I don't know if we ever will, but like th this is really the first time, right? And it's with Michael in an empty home that he hasn't bought yet. But like, if you were to show those things, suddenly the office would be this permeable space. And so we need it to be somewhat bounded. Yeah. Um, but then that restricts the point of view that we have on these people, right? Like, so as, mm -hmm. you're, as you're calling it, their office self. That's yeah. really interesting. Should we talk about the, the scene you brought up earlier, the closing ceremonies and Michael yes. gets the gold medal? Definitely. Yeah, so um, they come, oh, actually, you know what? One more thing just about the employees that I wanted to mention, um, and this is their kind of relationship to their work. Jim is explaining kind of toward the end that basically it took him five minutes to do the expense report, which was the main thing that he had to do that day. And then he did some other stuff. So it was as productive as any other day or maybe more productive. But Pam has 59 voicemails. And it made me think about who in the office actually works the most and kind of about the distribution of labor within the office because Jim is able to kind of screw around all day and do whatever and still yeah. get stuff done. But Pam also, I think her job title is inaccurate as receptionist because yeah. Very rarely does she actually have to receive anyone who is coming in the door, but really she does have to run the place. And people who are in, I think that administrative assistant kind of position, basically run the place and kind of know everything and have a ton of work in a lot of ways. So it was just kind of striking to me to have Pam go back to her phone and be like, wow, she has you know, serious catch up to do. And she actually kind of has some consequences for the Olympics that yeah. others don't seem to have. Yeah, that's a really great point. And like, I do think part of the show, what makes the show work in some ways is that we never, we will never care about the work that they're actually doing. Like mm -hmm. they, <laughs> their work, you know, so that it's funny when she's like, he's like, well, can you not answer them? And she's like, yep, no problem. You know, and it's like that kind of, it's like the tail end of the slacker 90s attitude towards like all work is soul sucking corporate mm -hmm. drones. And um, and uh, so, you know, it's like it's just not even a question that like, you know, procrastinating it or not doing it is like, yeah, that would that's justice in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, yeah, like he makes a sale at lunch, like presumably he's making a ton more money than her. Mm -hmm. And her labor in this is like, she's essentially like trying to make him happy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and he even, she even says like, it's her job to do this when he dies from boredom. Yeah. Which meanwhile, she's also got to like reroute Michael's mail to his home, his cracked yes. subscription, you know? So I agree with you. Like her job, it has way, she does way more work for way less money. And um, yeah, but, and we get like a little glimpse into that here. I do you wonder, know, oh, go ahead, yeah. I just have to pause because you mentioned the magazines and <laughs> I just wanted to 
make note of the fact that American Way comes back. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about American Way, the in-flight magazine that he has talked about in the past. And here he really does subscribe. He asks her to make the address change for small businessman, Maxim, American Way, cracked. Um, so anyway, I love it that Maxim and American Way are there together. <laughs> um, but anyway, continue. Do we know that Pam is an artist yet? I think we do, or maybe not. Oh, good question. I don't know. Well, because I was thinking of her art making abilities in the context of the yogurt lids and the um, yes. doves. And the... yeah, I feel like you can really see that she is creative and skillful in this kind of area. Um, yeah, we're coming, like she comes up with a lot of stuff and then speaking of her art when ryan immediately throws away the metal okay this is my favorite scene in the entire episode and i'm gonna insist that we talk about it tell us i love this scene so much and first uh i just think it's skillful like it serves the purpose like if the episode i think part of the reason maybe i don't love this episode or whatever is like ultimately the olympics is actually about the love plot right it's like Mm-hmm. Jim is depressed. Pam is making him happy. It's cute. We get to see him be excitable. She's thrilled by that. His excitement is crushed, you know. Um, and at the pivotal moment when the awards have basically like Michael and Dwight have returned and everybody pretends they weren't playing the game, then mm-hmm. we see Ryan say, or he throws it away and she sees him doing it. And then in the cutaway, he basically says, I could throw it away now, or I could keep it for three months and then throw it away then or whatever. And then we cut to Jim at his desk, I think with his head down or staring into space, yeah. or whatever, but his metal is hanging from the lamp. And I was like, that's just great storytelling, right? Cause it's like, you don't need to say in dialogue, like, oh, it means so much to me, or Pam made this for me, or I was happy today. Like it's all those things. So yeah, you're so, so I felt right. that was clever, but I also feel exactly as ryan feels or i'm like totally do i keep like so okay so it's the holiday season i'm getting like holiday cards and i'm like oh my god that's so nice do i can i throw it out now or do Mm -hmm. i need to hold on to it and i'll kind of like hold on to them and then on january 1st like throw them out and i know that i think my mom would like save them all every year Uh you know and um and i can remember i definitely have like a complicated relationship to purging things like I'm not great at throwing things away but I'm getting better at it like Jen is really a brutal purger you know no Mm -hmm. sentimentality she's just like it's gone it's gone it's gone and I'll be like oh but I wore this t-shirt like three years ago and (laughs) you know I don't know I saw this movie and that meant something to me or whatever you know so there's this part of me that like wants to be like Ryan Mm -hmm. um in that kind of radically non-sentimental about things and then on the other hand I know that I would like keep that in my desk and then keep it forever and then (laughs) would eventually like when we moved I have I have like boxes in in my closet that were like it's called like sentimental stuff like that's literally what I've written on it and I have like three boxes of it but before we moved I had like five or six right so it's like 
but there's always going to be a box of crap that I can't, I'm not going to go through, but I feel like I can't throw away. This is incredibly boring what I'm saying, but this scene resonated with me and I wanted to know your stance. Mm. Do you keep, do you purge? That's a great question. Take me into your mind. Question. Um, So I think Ryan is totally right about this. I think it was lovely. I think it made it really fun that Pam made these. I was curious why she was saving so many yogurt tops. But, <laughs> uh, I think that like putting in that kind of, putting that kind of creativity into something really does make it fun with the metals, with the doves, all of that. Ryan is completely right on that. Like how long is this piece of junk gonna sit on your desk? And the, rela- the relationship makes a big difference. So, you know, like what it says, kind of how they, how they feel about Pam, of course, and then what that metal means or doesn't mean. Um, for me though, I'd say that I'm torn, that I also really want to be the Ryan, even if I feel about Pam the way Jim does, I wanna be the Ryan, my mom is the Ryan, great at just getting rid of things. Um, but I struggle with, it's like a whole kind of back and forth, but I do not like being weighed down by too many things. And so I'm working on it and I'm, I'm going to keep Ryan in my mind as expl- or as inspiration. Yeah. Do I just hang on to this for another two months or two years or whatever it is? And then, you know, I die and it's still sitting there and someone else has to just throw it away for me. Like, let's just take care of it. Right. That's something that deeply depresses me uh, when I think about my possessions or whatever is like, oh, like somebody's gonna have to deal with this. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't know. I Like, I, have we ever talked about like, I can go to a flea market, right? And like, they'll have these like, um, I don't know if we've ever gone together, but they'll have like boxes of photographs. Mm. Have you ever seen these? And like, you can buy a photograph for like 25 cents or 10 cents or whatever. Like I'll yeah. go through them and I'll start crying. Because I'm like, these were somebody's photos. Like somebody took this prom picture or this photo of their new car in 1942 or whatever, you know, like at some point this meant something to somebody. On the other hand, it's like, I have lots of things that you would think mean something to you, but like, I can't remember where I got it or it means nothing to me, but I kept it because I felt like I should like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, sentimentality, Mm -hmm. man. It's rough. It is. It is rough. You don't have like a packed, like a rat, like a pack rat basement, you know, filled with, uh, I don't know, all the cards I've ever sent you or something like that. <laughs> I have, so sorry, I have one this small drawer where I keep some cards, but ones that have, I have some from you that are in there actually. I oh, I've made the drawer. You made the drawer. I was just sorting things. And if something uh-huh. is just a card that says like, happy birthday, love whoever, after, like it sits out for a while. I do. I actually take Ryan's like I'm keeping it, you know, for the couple months or whatever it's, 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 it's around. And then I do get rid of it. But if it's really got a special note, then I do keep it. So you are making that drawer. Well, first I need to send you more things, but secondly, I'm also like, ah, like, do you want, but I never look back at those things. And I sometimes feel like, Oh, if I looked back at stuff, then I wouldn't be depressed. On the uh, other hand, it could be more depressing. I don't know. <laughs> 
we've uh, I feel like we've really taken <laughs> Ryan's point here to a very existential place. It really hit me. I'm I'm sorry. I digress. Let me ask you a question uh, before okay. we wrap up. Why okay. is Michael crying at the end? And oh what God. did you make of the closing ceremonies? Um, the staging of all of that. I think it is so lovely. I am actually so touched by this final scene. Um, so, first of all, when Jim, there's, I think, I think it's Jim asks him, like, how how was the condo? And Michael just says this quick, like, it's three bedroom, gay friendly, which I thought was so funny how he like picked that up as being, you know, one of the assets of the of the neighborhood. Um, but he goes, so let me read his, a couple of his quotes here. Um, so he goes, they've put, they've made this kind of podium, this like three-tiered podium with paper boxes and bring Michael out to give him the gold medal for closing on his condo that day. And he gets up on the, on the platform at the top and he says, I don't really know what to say. Um, I'm not one for making speeches, but uh, my heart is very full at this moment. And they start playing the national anthem. And he asks Jim, why are you playing the national anthem? And Jim says, uh, because your condo's in America. <laughs> <laughs> and then just think this, like as he's piecing together this sort of really bizarre ceremony that's coming out of nowhere and the, the doves start kind of going up the line behind them. And Michael says, what the hell is that? Those are the doves, Jim tells him. and. Michael has these tears in his eyes in that last shot. And I'm not giving the Dundies out to actors here for their acting jobs, but wow, if that is what I was doing, this acting moment um, for Steve Carell, I think is just fantastic. It's, I think it's yeah. so poignant. Um, I really liked the point you started to make before. I wanna hear more about this but about him not having someone to really share it with. You know, he gets like Subway sandwiches or something with Dwight and they sit on the floor and eat them. But you're right, he doesn't have um, the person in his kind of dream scenario, like what he he's ultimately wanting. He doesn't have that person to share it with. And it feels like he's just gone through something then, you know, kind of on his own that is also back to the conversation about mortgages and the finances, like really confusing and really stressful and overwhelming. And then to kind of come back and have the celebratory feeling about it, because I think anything that you do that's that big, you just, you want it to feel celebratory, but it's also complicated. And he's also just, yeah, locked himself into this stressful financial situation. And so yeah, I think kind of having this opportunity for it to be, I think you said recognized, like for himself to be recognized there. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, I love that point you made. I think it's that being recognized. I, it had not occurred to me until you said it, that it's, a, that he's closed on the condo and these are the closing ceremonies mm -hmm. and like, and it's the closing of the episode. And like, so there is something about closure and like literal closings um, that's being played with. Maybe this episode is like way smarter than I initially gave it credit for, but also I did not get it. I like totally missed the point until you explained it to me that 
Because I was like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Why is Michael, like, why, if it's the closing ceremonies, why is Michael on the block or whatever? Why aren't any of the other people who uh, perform? And it's like, oh, right, because Michael and Dwight don't know that the ceremony is for the events in the office. So it's like, I just missed that, I guess. Or I, I didn't put it together, even though that's the joke, right? Is that he doesn't understand why are you giving me a gold medal? Why am I on a block? Why are there doves? And I guess I just like didn't. So we have another instance of Michael's like ignorance um, in him not quite being in on the joke, being mm-hmm. the joke for us. Um, yeah, I just missed that. And so that is kind of clever. At the same time, I did think it was funny that Jim put himself, he gave himself a medal. Because <laughs> I was like, huh, like he didn't give it to Phyllis. You didn't give it to anybody else who played Toby, Kevin, you know, um, it is after five too. So they're staying after work is closed for this. Oh, like the office is closed. Right. Ah. Cause he says to her, like, meet me at five o'clock for closing ceremonies. So, um, so interesting. This show does like, this is the thing. Cause I remember early on, I was just like, I don't know, every week I'm going to try to be the like Marxist who says the show is like indoctrinating you or whatever into capitalism. And like, you know, yes, but also I do feel like the show is aware of, and is like, is very direct about the alienation Mm -hmm. of capitalism. Like the whole buying of the house is not celebratory or, or positive it's there's no it's just like a deal you know and it shows the alienation of that and so there is something I guess like kind of sweet and nice about the closing ceremony as giving this kind of human uh I don't know non-alienated pleasure but at the same time you know does it compensate for that is I don't know anyway yeah I don't know huh I think we can see there too the way that the thing um, the thing that is sort of supposed to be the dream and the goal and that they start talking about in the beginning is property ownership. Right. Something that can be exciting, but that is also described it as alienating and also scary, like right. frightening, you know, like you're kind of committing into this system of, um, money and banks in a way that like kind of goes beyond what you can fully understand and does commit you until what does Dwight say he's going to be in his 70s or something yeah yeah Um, yeah so you're right it ends up having a lot of a lot of complicated feelings and so I think there's this um yeah kind of affirming comforting moment for him at the end being celebrated yeah but not it's not um he doesn't know he it's not for what he thinks it is and although maybe that doesn't matter and and yeah it ends back in the office which is like you know the show is sort of making that his his home um Yeah. yeah and maybe that's the bad thing right about the show where it's like work ultimately can be a a space um for non-alienated, you know, uh, conviviality and pleasure and all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, to achieve it, it means 
not doing the work, right? It's like taking time away <laughs> yeah. from labor yeah. to, do, yeah. to do, you know, um, anyway. Yes. I don't know. Hmm. I'm curious who's going to get your Dundee this week. So I had, I would say, two main contenders for my Dundee. I don't know which way, you know, I'm second guessing. I don't know what order I want to do these in. So I'm giving two Dundies because I feel like these two work together anyway. Rules um, are made to be broken. Go for rules it. Rules are made to be broken. So so my Dundies today are going to go to Bill, head of the condo association, and Carol, the real estate agent, because I just loved them. I really loved the way that Bill tried to be inclusive of <laughs> Dwight and Michael, even in a really awkward kind of way. I just, he just had this sort of quietness and mm -hmm. kindness about him <laughs> that I really liked. And Carol just did such a great job handling um, Michael and sort of walking him through the situation while still being firm and clear about what he needed to do. So um, Bill and Carol. I almost had them, uh, you know, and I was gonna um, have, give them the Dundee for inclusivity, um, <laughs> you know, and, and their their accepting community. Um, I thought about Ryan, uh, not only for his uh, his kind of a uh, uh, you know great attitude towards not um, uh, what do you call it, um, you know, being a pack rat. I don't know. There's a better word for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Non-accumulation, uh, but also that he shows up in the morning with that uh, sausage, egg, and cheese on a biscuit or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, my Dundee uh, of the week is going to Phyllis um, mm. for best sense of humor in the office. And I felt that this was such a small but really powerful moment when I guess they're playing horse and Jim says H-O and she's like, are you calling me a hoe? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was such a great moment to show that Phyllis has a really quick wit and a sense of humor mm -hmm. um, and that she can be a little like, I don't know, what do you want to say? Like risque, you know? Um, yeah. And because yeah. it is a sexual joke, but the difference is now she's making the joke as opposed to, wasn't it the first episode of this season when she was the one being sexually harassed by um, Todd Packer and Mm -hmm. Michael, you know, and, it, and and you could have walked away from the from that episode sort of being like, oh, Phyllis is just a stick in the mud who, you know, we wouldn't. But, you know, I guess like a certain kind of uh, sexist viewer might <laughs> or something like that. I just felt like it was a really nice reversal to show like, no, 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 she she can joke and she can joke about, you know, stuff. But the difference is the joke is not on her and she's making the joke. And I felt yeah. like anyway, I like that moment. It was a small moment, but I thought it was. um. It, it, it made me be excited to see Phyllis become more of her kind of yes. uh, sassy, <laughs> uh, sarcastic yeah. self. Yeah, that's a great one. And it'll be good to keep watching her and kind of see what happens. Because we've had so many moments where she does seem much more reserved and timid. Yeah, but that. Yeah. One thing I really liked about this is the way that it didn't just seem... It didn't just seem like a completely different person or like it forgot that because when she steps up to compete with Kevin and Flogerton, she kind of like slinks around the corner a little bit and sort of quietly like, I'll do it. Yes. Um, 
like a little bit surprising. Um, but so she kind of like comes out of that quietness and then sort of You're emerges right. um, in a bigger way. So great one. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. That's totally right. Um, well, next week's episode is The Fire. Um, and I'm really excited uh, to watch it. Do you have any, you any like, I don't know, things you want to say wrapping up or previewing that episode? Any, anything at all about the fire? The, you know what? I don't think I have any preview I want to say about the fire, but I do want to wrap up on one memorable line. This, I almost want to do like an award for most memorable line of the, of the episode. Let's add that into the mix. Let's add that okay, into the mix. Add right. that into the mix. Cause I just realized there's one favorite, favorite line that I missed. And this is when <laughs> Michael says he'll let Dwight move in and Dwight is responding. And he says, question, where can I put my terrarium? And Michael, what the hell is a terrarium? I don't know why. I just think that's so funny. <laughs> And Dwight explains, it's a fish tank for snakes and lizards. Michael, oh, so an aquarium. And then Dwight looks at the camera and just kind of shakes his head like, <laughs> Michael's such a fool for not knowing the difference between an aquarium and a terrarium. So just, just a uh, triumphant moment of writing. I closed out the script, but I think I would put on, a, you know, aside from all the great ones we talked about, my one that stuck in my mind is, uh, Michael like takes off the biscuits of his sausage, egg and cheese. Yes. And it's like, gotta, gotta stay healthy, cut out the carbs or something. He said yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. Watch the carbs. Help well, <laughs> it just really made me laugh. Yes. Yes. But also want to eat that. So with that, um, yeah, thank you so much, uh, everybody for listening and we'll see you next time for the fire. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for listening. <laughs>